0: Hey, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter eight. And uh, you know, today we find ourselves in week four of a of a lockdown. And uh, what we're going through right now is obviously unprecedented, like we've talked about, and uh, we've never been through this kind of crisis before. And so, the thing about the thing about the crisis that we're in is really just dealing with the uncertainty and managing and living with uncertainty every day. I mean, I think I think all of us are facing physical uncertainty. Uh, we're facing uh, relational uncertainty as we're concerned about our family members and friends, or uh, we're facing certainly financial uncertainty as, as this virus impacts the economy. And, and then certainly just uncertainty about the future, just planning in the future as a whole. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what is it that we want in the face of so much uncertainty? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. I think what we want is we want certainty. We, we really want something that's unchangeable. We want something permanent. We, we really want something that's real and lasting. And so when you think about the question in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a crisis, what is real? And I think the answer to that is really simple. God is real. Jesus Christ is real. Sin is real. Heaven and hell are real. You know, the finished work of Christ, his shed blood on the cross is real. Faith is real. The lack of faith is real. The promises of God are real. And God's presence with you is real. And so these are, these are the eternal realities that we can build our lives on. These are the very things in our lives that can't change, they can't be postponed, they can't be taken away, they can't be quarantined, they can't be socially distanced from us. And so as I think about what we're going through right now, I think God has us in a place where we can kind of evaluate reality. We can evaluate and reflect on what is it that I'm building my life on? You know, what, uh, what am I living my life for? Am I building my life on the truth of the word of God? Or am I building my life on the lies of the world? And the thing that I know about a crisis is a crisis always reveals the foundation of what I'm building my life on. And so when a crisis comes, the most important thing is having the right foundation. And so here's what I wanna share with you today, church. In, a, in, a, in the situation that we find ourselves in and the crisis that we, that we find ourselves in in this season of uncertainty, I just wanna share with you, there's some really good news. And the good news is this, that there is, there is a glorious, rock solid, and indestructible reason why you and I don't have to fear in this season of of lockdown and and virus that we're facing today. That the foundation of reality for the Christian life is a foundation of no fear. And where we see this is in Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul um, explains really the basis of a life of fearlessness. And so I love what Pastor John Piper says about Romans 8 it is, it is this, he says the greatest book in the world is the Bible and the greatest letter in that book is Romans. And then the greatest chapter in that letter is chapter eight. It's really his way of saying that chapter eight is the greatest chapter in all of scripture. And so if you were writing a soundtrack to the letter to the Romans, when you get to chapter eight, you're gonna be choosing the soundtrack to Rocky, you know? Da da da. It's yo Adrian, you know what I'm saying? And so that's how glorious, that is how incredible this chapter is. Because, because what he does in this chapter is he explains the gospel, he explains that we've been that we were lost in our sin and that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then in the letter, Romans begins asking a series of questions about how this impacts our life, how it impacts how we view ourselves, how we view the world, and how we view the problems that we face in the world. And the answer to those questions is really this, that, that that what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is this, that we've been set free, that we've been liberated. And more specifically, we've been set free from fear. And that's what I want us to unpack unpack today. That in the midst of what we're going through, in the midst of the the circumstances that we find ourselves in, no anxiety, no fear, um, supernatural security, supernatural contentment, supernatural peace, are available to us. And that's what he explains in Romans chapter eight. What he does in Romans eight is he anchors us in reality. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans eight and read verses one through 11. He says, beginning at verse one, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then in verse nine, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh who dwells within you. Now, as you, as you look at Romans chapter eight, really the key theme of, of this chapter is the freedom that we have through the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is, is the gospel sets us free. Here's the problem with that though. Most religious people, most people that really attend church have no idea that they are free. And the reason why is because they are caught by two different traps. They're caught by either the performance trap or the image management trap. Now, let me let me explain what I mean by, by those two traps. The performance trap really is the thinking that you have to attain a certain standard in order to have God's blessing on your life, that you have to achieve a certain level of religiosity or spirituality in order to have God's favor or God's blessing on your life. In other words, if you, if you do all the right things, then God will accept you and bless you. And so you typically often think that if you fail to do those things, then God in turn will punish you. And so the way that you know that you're in a performance trap that you're living out of this performance trap mentality is, you're always asking the question, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough in the Christian life? You're always evaluating what you're doing and thinking, am I doing enough? And then when you hit a problem or you hit a snag in your life, the first question that typically comes to your mind when you're living in this performance trap is, God, are you punishing me? Are you punishing me? And so the problem with the performance trap is there's always this low level of anxiety, but there's this high level of exhaustion and both are deadly in the Christian life. Now, closely related to this performance trap is what I would call the image management trap. And the image management trap is this. This is, this is when you act like everything's good on the outside, even though on the inside you know that's not the truth. You know, it's where you put on this mask, you put on this front. That everything's great and everything's awesome in your life, but in reality, your, your heart's just not in it. And so you're just, you're just really pretending. That's what the image management trap is. You're really in this business of just trying to put on a front that, uh, that your, your life is, you got it all together, uh, that your life is righteous and happy and people ask you how you're doing and you say, oh, I'm so great. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'm just so blessed. Uh, when in reality that's just not the case. Now oftentimes you you really see this, it happens a lot at church because a a family will walk into church and they're just beaming, they've got smiles on their faces, everything's good. You ask them how they're doing, they just say, you know what, man, my my life couldn't be better. I'm just so blessed. When in reality that uh, on their way to church, mom and dad have been fighting the entire way to church. And, and so the image management trap is just always trying to maintain a certain image that, that everything is good in your life. I, I heard one pastor kind of describe it this way. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater for a long period of time. You know, you're just, you're just working so hard to hide your sins from other people, you know, your, your anger and your, your pride or your lust or your envy or your greed. You're just trying to stuff it down so much and you're just living out of this fear that, that one time you're gonna let it slip and it's gonna pop out for the entire world to see. And so that's really the image management trap. Now, the question then becomes, well, what is behind both of those traps? And the answer is this, fear. Fear is what is really behind uh, both of those traps. And here is the message of Romans 8 that I wanna just share with you. The message of Romans 8 is this, we've been set free not only from the performance trap, but we've been set free from the image management trap because we've been set free from fear if we're Christians, if we're in Christ. We have been completely set free from fear. I want you to just think about this. We, we we, We no longer have to live in a performance a performance mentality because Jesus performed for us in our place. In other words, he measured up for us when we failed to measure up. And so we don't have to live in this this mentality of trying to earn our way and achieve our way because Jesus earned our way and achieved our way. And not only that, but but we've been set free from fear. We don't have to live in this image management trap anymore because God already knows all of our struggles, all of our habits, all of our hangups, all of our failures. He knows all of that and he still loves us and accepts us anyway. And so what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is we have, we have, we have a, the gift of fearlessness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna show you that, that we have as Christians, we have as believers a foundation for fearlessness. And there's two parts of this foundation for fearlessness. And the first one is this, I have a new place. I have a new place in Christ. And then secondly, I have a new power in Christ. So I have a new place and I have a new power. I want to I show you this right from Romans 8 today. So let's look at the first one, my new place. My new place in Christ is the place of no condemnation. That's the place that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. Those two words, no condemnation, are the two greatest words in all of Scripture. Let's look at verse 1 and let me show you what I'm talking about. So the apostle Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now what a glorious truth that really is. This one verse, I believe, is the most powerful verse in the entire scripture. And the reason why is because it not only summarizes the gospel, but it summarizes the entire storyline of scripture and what God has accomplished through his son Jesus, that he has accomplished our freedom and our release from condemnation. And so really when you look at these two words, no condemnation, they are really a legal term. And it just simply means this, that there are no charges against you, there's no debt against you, there there is no penalty against you if you are in Christ. And so what that really means is something really unbelievable, something just incredible. When you really think about uh, what, what this really means. It means that God finds no fault in us, that there, there, there are no charges that God has against us, that he is, he is not seeking to punish us because there are no charges against us. And so what this means, church, is when something goes wrong in your life and your first question is, is God punishing me? You know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the apostle Paul is saying. What he is saying here is something so breathtaking. It is, it is almost unbelievable. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying here because I, I, I kind of know Maybe what some of you are thinking, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, uh, condemnation, this condemnation has been removed and, and that is a glorious truth, but, but if we fail to live up to the Christian standard, then this condemnation will return to us. That's what, that's what some of us are thinking. And what I'm here to tell you is this, that is not what he's saying. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying in Romans 8-1 is this, that I have an entirely new place. And that new place in Christ is the place of no condemnation. He's saying that because no condemnation exists anymore. It has been wiped out on on the cross of Jesus for us. Now, there are some people who believe that, you know, if Christians confess their sins and they live a good life, then, at that moment, they're, they're not, they are not under condemnation. But if they were to fall into sin, then condemnation would return right back to them if they, if they, if they choose to live into sin. And so what they have to do is confess and then repent again. And, and so in other words, if a Christian were to sin, then, then really he or she would again come under condemnation. And so really their perspective on the Christian life is just this constant moving from no condemnation to condemnation to back to no condemnation to to condemnation again, back to no condemnation. And so if if they were struggling in their walk with God, if they had fallen into sin as a Christian, that if they died in that state, they could be lost forever. And what I'm here to tell you is this, that is not what Romans 8 is saying at all. That is absolutely not what he is saying at all. He is saying this, church, no condemnation means no condemnation. It's been wiped out, it has been gone. And so the charges have been dropped. And not only have the charges have been dropped, but but through the work of Jesus on the cross, you've been declared right with God. That's what he's saying. And so there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says says that that for those in Christ, Christ, it would be unjust for God to hold a Christian believer uh, responsible for sin because what he would be doing is he would be requiring two payments for that sin. He would would require the payment that Jesus made, and then he would be requiring payment for us. Now you just think about that for a minute. See, what the apostle Paul is saying is the debt has been paid in full and the condemnation has been removed. And so there's no fault against us. There's no accusation or charge against us. It has been absolutely removed. I, I heard J.D. Greer, Pastor J.D. Greer, give a really good illustration of this. And so the illustration goes like this. I want you to suppose that my electric bill uh, one month was astronomically high, just right in the middle of the summer. And uh, typically it is. And the reason why it's high is because I like to put the thermostat on 45 degrees right in the middle of the summer. Cause I like, I like it cool in the house in the middle of the summer. So I've got this astronomical electric bill and my wife en- ends up paying the electric bill. And then two weeks later, there's a knock on the door and the electric company is, I answer the door, and the electric company is there and they say to me, Scott, we're requiring payment for you because we find you are the one who set the thermostat at 45 degrees. So therefore now you have to pay. Now, what would I say at that moment? I would say, absolutely not. That is unfair. I would say my debt, has been paid in full. The bill has been paid in full. And that is absolutely what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 8 verse one, the debt has been paid in full and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, So this view that a believer is constantly moving in and out of condemnation and no condemnation really doesn't square with the reality of what the Apostle Paul is saying. It really doesn't measure up with the intensity and the comprehensiveness of the truth that he's given to us in verse 1. Basically, what he's saying is this that, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you could do to make him love you less because he loves you perfectly in Christ. And so practically what this means is this, whether you're in a pandemic or not, whether you're in a financial crisis or not, whether you're having your your worst day spiritually or your best day spiritually, there is nothing that can threaten our love and acceptance that we have through Jesus Christ, very simply because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's just take a minute and apply this for a moment. One of my favorite preachers is David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, he was a preacher in England in the 20th century, and he says this, he says, most of our troubles and struggles as a Christian are due to our failure to realize the truth of Romans 8.1, that we really fail to comprehend the love and the acceptance that we have through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to just think about this for a minute. What Paul is saying here in this passage is this, that we're really set free from the performance trap, that we don't have to serve God out of fear and duty because Jesus measured up for us because Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, we can now respond to what he's done for us out of love and gratitude. And love and gratitude are more powerful motivations for serving God than than serving God out of fear and out of and out of duty. I love how David Martin Lloyd joins illustrates this. He he gives a great illustration of this whole principle of no condemnation. He says this. He says the difference between An unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is like the difference between a man breaking a federal law and a husband who just sins against his wife. He says the man who hurts his wife is not breaking the law as much as he is wounding the heart of his wife. It's not a legal matter for him, but it is a matter of personal relationship and love. That man who hurts his wife doesn't cease to be her husband legally, but he has hurt his personal relationship with her. And so the husband should feel guilt over what he's done because the purpose of that guilt is to lead us back to a place of reconciliation and repentance through confession. But he says this, "'But even in the midst of that, there's no condemnation.'" What a great illustration. What an amazing truth that you and I are no longer under condemnation, that we are now free in this new place of serving God out of love and joy and gratitude for what he has done to us. So the foundation of fearlessness is this new place in Christ, no condemnation. But I also have another part of this foundation and that is this, secondly, I have a whole new power. My new power is the Holy Spirit at work inside of me. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let's look at verses one and two again, and let me show you this right right from the text. So Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us the why in verse two. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Now that phrase, law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death, he's really not talking about a new commandment or a commandment from the Old Testament or some kind of rule and regulation. What he means by law is principle. So it's like he's saying, there's a new power at work within me. The reason why I'm no longer under condemnation is because a new principle A new power is at work within my soul and within my life. And this new power and principle sets me free from the power of sin and death in my life. In other words, very practically, death no longer rules over me. Sin no longer rules over me. Now, sin is still in me, but this power of sin to rule over me has been broken. Death is still a part of life. But the but the bite of death has been taken away because we live forever with Jesus. And so so really what this is saying is this. This is God's way of saying, "I want to I want my people to be holy. And here's what I'm going to do to accomplish that. I'm going to break the power of sin in their life. And then I'm going to give them the power to obey my commands." and be the people that I've called them to be. I'm gonna give them the power to do what I call them to do. And that power is the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the principle of the spirit of life that is now at work in me since, since I've received the good news of Jesus in my life. Now he goes on to explain in verses three through four uh, how this happens. He says this, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, I love the emphasis there, what God has done. This is not something we have done. This is something God has done for us. And and He's done something what the law couldn't do. You see, the law can tell us what to do, but the law lacks the power for us to do it. Because our sinful flesh is so strong it compromises the law. And so we don't have power to do what what God has asked us to do. And so what what he goes on to say is, is really by sending his own son, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fully met in us, would be fulfilled in us, in other words. So really what he's saying is this, he's saying God sent his son to live the life that you and I were supposed to live. And, and he did that perfectly. And, and Jesus was sent by God to die the death we were supposed to die because of our disobedience. And so that opened the door for us to be reconciled with God and to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives so that now the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us because the Spirit of God is in us. That's what he's saying. We have have not only a new place, a new place of no condemnation, but now there's a whole new power at work within us through the Holy Spirit. He is describing to us the power that we have through the Holy Spirit to obey what he's called us to obey. Now, that is absolutely amazing. Now, I I didn't really take the time to show you Romans chapter 7, but if you you have a moment later today, you should go back and read it because Romans 7, Paul describes our struggle with sin. And uh, he just gets right to it because he talks about how uh, he doesn't do the things that he wants to do in the Christian life, and then he ends up uh, not not doing the things he, he should be doing. And so he asked this question, who can save me from this struggle, this body of death? Well, the answer to the question is Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. It set me free from Romans chapter 7. That is absolutely what he's saying. And he's saying that God did that through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I was reading an article, this was from uh, 2013, I was reading about the, the Carnival cruise ship Triumph, and uh, the cruise ship was out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and all of a sudden a, a fire broke out in the engine room and it, uh, it really took power out of the entire ship. So the ship lost power and they had no backup uh, power system at all and so I want you to just kind of imagine this for a minute. Uh, they're out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, it's in the middle of the summer, There are 4,200 passengers on this ship and there's no electricity. There's no power on this ship. So they don't have the power to refrigerate the food or heat the food. They don't have power to clean the water. They don't have power for air conditioning. They don't even have power to flush the toilets. And so this ship was drifting out at sea for a couple of days before they were picked up by a tugboat and then brought in to Mobile, Alabama to port. So for four days, they were drifting at sea and CNN called this the cruise ship from hell. And I could uh, imagine that that was like, now here's, here's the question that you have to ask, well, why, why is this the cruise ship from hell? Because it, it didn't have any power to it. It lacked the power it was supposed to have. And the thing that I know as a pastor is this, that a lot of Christians are living the Christian life, but they have no idea that God has called us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That the power of the Holy Spirit is, is our source for obedience. And what Paul is trying to say in Romans 8 is this, just as we are, uh, it's impossible for us to save ourselves through our own effort, it's impossible for us to be obedient to Christ In our own strength alone. That's what he's saying. He's saying that real change comes when when sons and daughters of God begin to learn to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to be obedient. And And so, really, the question becomes this it's great that you have your sins forgiven, it's great that you have this new place of no condemnation in your relationship with christ but the question is this how's your walk are you walking according to the spirit of god that's really the question you know years ago there was an a there was an evangelism program called evangelism explosion and it was just a way of where christians could share the gospel with with, friends and strangers. And so the first question that you asked to get the conversation going just kind of right out of the chute was this, uh, if you die tonight, do you know for sure that you would be in heaven? You know, if you die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd be in heaven? So that obviously not beating around the bush, getting right, to, getting right to the root of the question there. And so, and so obviously the answer to that question is Romans 8.1, if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so that's definitely the right answer to that, to that question. So, so um, that's what you know, people would say. But there's another question that, that oftentimes we really don't get to. And it's the question of this, it's really this. The question is not if you died tonight, the question is, if, if you woke up tomorrow morning, you know, the question is this, if you get up tomorrow, would your life reflect the power of the Holy Spirit within you? Would there be a discernible difference in your life as a result of having the Spirit of God within you? That's really, that's really the question. See, if you're, if, you're living the, if you're living your life and it's really not any different, then the way you were living before you came to Christ, then you really need to go back to that first question. You really need to go back to the gospel. You need to go back to that first question. And I think what we see in scripture is this, that true forgiveness of sins really leads to a growing freedom from sin. That the mark of true forgiveness received in the Christian life is that you are you're growing you're progressing you're you are you are learning and becoming more and more like Jesus every day in other words there's a change there's a there's a transformation that takes place in your life now there's a great story of this in in John chapter 4 where Jesus and the disciples are walking through samaria They've been out ministering and it's a hot day. And so uh, Samaria is just an, uh, a region in, in Israel, uh, home of the Samaritans. And Samaritans and Jews did not get, get along very well. They never spoke to each other. And, um, and so really when Jews were traveling, they would walk around the area of Samaria just to avoid Samaritans. Well, as you can imagine, Jesus wasn't going to have any of that. So he makes the choice to walk right down the middle of Samaria, and so they stop for a little rest break. And Jesus is thirsty, and he sees this woman at the well, and he asks her, "Will you give me something to drink?" And so the woman responds, as you might imagine, "We, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for something to drink?" And so uh, Jesus says, "Well." Uh, if, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the forgiveness of God, in other words, if you knew the no condemnation in God, and you knew the one who was asking you, you would ask him for living water, and he would give it to you. And of course, that just goes totally over her head. And she looks at him and says to Jesus, well, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? And so Jesus responds back to her and says, well, uh, You know, If you drink the water that comes out of this well, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And finally, she's starting to get it dialed in and she says, give me that water. And Jesus says, I will, but I want you to go get your husband first. And then she says to him, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responds back by saying, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. And then she says, I can see that you're a prophet. It's like, no kidding, right? And so then, so then she says, well, you know what? When, when the Messiah will come, when, when, the, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. He'll explain everything that I need to know. And this is, this, is, this is what Jesus says to her. He looks at her and says, I am he. I am the Messiah, I am he. And we don't know how the rest of that conversation went, but what we do know this, what we, what we do know is this, that her life was radically transformed by the grace of the gospel that day. That she experienced this new place and the power of the Holy Spirit in her life completely changed her. And the reason why we know that is because of what John says in John four thirty nine, when he says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony because of her testimony saying, he told me everything that I, that I ever did. You see, she went back to that town and she told everybody about Jesus. That entire town knew this woman. They knew her reputation and they saw the change in her life. And so many of them believed the message of the gospel as a result. Now, the whole point of that is this church, the gospel is not stop sinning. That's not the gospel, that's an impossible message. The gospel of Jesus is this, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold the love of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold your new position and your new power by grace through faith that you can have. And it's that appropriation of grace and mercy, it's that appropriation of unconditional love that leads us to this place of having power to stop sinning in our life. Now, the implications of this are absolutely huge because when you think about it, we now are set free from the image management trap. We don't have to be worried about managing our image in front of other people or pretending to be something we're not because we know that we know in Jesus Christ that he performed for us. He measured up for us and we've been accepted and loved by Jesus that Jesus knows all of our sins, he knows all of our flaws, he knows all of our failures, he knows all of our mixed motives, and he still loves us and accepts us and changes us. That is, that is power for real change in our lives. So what that really means is this, we, we have a whole new power at work within us, church. We, we have a whole new power to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to witness to others for Jesus, to, to pray to Jesus, to pray with tremendous effectiveness in the power of the Holy Spirit, to open up God's word and to receive the nourishment through the life-giving spirit that's in his word. We, we have a whole new life in Christ. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to say. And so walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is, is really, it's really not becoming a more religious person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about um, becoming more committed and doing more and and working harder in your Christian life. Here's what I'm talking about to access this power. The Christian life is not being more religious. It is surrender to a person, to the only person worthy of your surrender, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, really surrender means everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I hope to be, everything that I'm not, I place at the feet of Jesus. It's my past, it's my present, it's my future surrendered to Him. It's my marriage, it's my singleness surrendered to Him. It's my job, it's my finances, it's my kids, it's, it's my health, it's my entire life surrendered to Him. That's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we come to that place, church, the power of the Holy Spirit is free to begin moving in us and through us in ways we've never experienced before. And it's absolutely life-altering. I, I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. He says it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, Christ says, give me, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your talents, a certain amount of your money, or a certain amount of your work. I want you, I want all of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. All of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams, all all that you hope for. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart, he says, shall become your heart. You see, what he's saying is this, that in death to ourselves, we find resurrection. That in surrender, we find victory. You see, the Christian life, the gospel, is the only place where in surrender you actually win. And so when we come to that place of saying, God, whether we're in a pandemic or no pandemic, virus or no virus, economic downturn or economic upturn. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is having the person of Jesus. And if I have him, I have all that I need. You See, the gospel of Jesus is this, a new place and a new power. And that new place and new power comes when we surrender to him. When we say, God, I'm taking my hands off and I'm setting my mind and my heart on the things of the Spirit. I'm living for you. And I just wanna give you that invitation today. Would you let that be your prayer today? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the tremendous truth of our new place in Jesus Christ and our new power And Father, I pray that for everybody listening right now, that that you would would just give us a greater awareness, a greater understanding of of this place of no condemnation, of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Lord, I thank you that the life that you've called us to lead, you have given us the power to do it. And so Father, we come to you and we just surrender our circumstances to you. We release our past, our present, and our future to you, and we, we pledge ourselves to the person of Jesus in full surrender. So God, give us the grace to walk in this surrender every day. Give us, give us the faith to trust your plan over ours, to trust your goodness in the midst of all that we're going through right now. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.